0: Extraordinary Districts, a podcast series from the Education Trust that investigates what ordinary school districts do to get extraordinary results. Hi, my name is Karen Chenoweth from the Education Trust. We believe all students can achieve at high levels, no matter what their background. So we're visiting school districts that demonstrate what's possible. In our last episode, we went to Lexington, Massachusetts, a wealthy suburb of Boston that performs at the top of the country. Today, we're beginning a three-part episode in the heart of the Rust Belt, Steubenville, Ohio. Steubenville is a small city on Ohio's eastern border. Go just 40 miles further east and you get to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's part of what used to be America's steel country. When I first went to Steubenville, I thought it was a very sad place. It was back in 2008, and a huge, rusting hulk of a steel plant hugged the river. The sign on one of the downtown churches announced a sermon on keeping faith in hard times. The downtown seemed mostly deserted, and many of the buildings looked like they were crumbling. Painted murals on the sides of buildings were among the few visible signs that someone cared about the city. The reason I had gone to Steubenville was that one of its elementary schools was performing at the top of the state in terms of academic performance. Education Trust recognized Wells Elementary with its Dispelling the Myth Award, and I wrote about it in a 2009 book from Harvard Education Press called How It's Being Done. I wrote then that I thought the story of Wells Elementary's success held important lessons for other districts and schools. Fast forward seven years to 2016, when Stanford University's Sean Reardon published an analysis of 12,000 school districts arrayed by their socioeconomic status and by their academic achievement from 3rd through 8th grade. As I explained in the first episode of this podcast, Reardon's analysis is what we're using to find extraordinary districts. When I first saw Reardon's graph, my eye was drawn to a dot that was toward the left, and up a bit, well above the other dots. The dots placement meant it was one of the poorer districts in the country, but its achievement was more than a grade level above the national average. You've probably guessed that dot was Steubenville. So Steubenville stands out in our data because it's a quite poor school district, um, but it has very high average achievement relative to places like it and, and above average nationally. That's Sean Reardon speaking from his office at Stanford University. And when we looked more closely at the data, that seems entirely because third graders and to some extent fourth grade scores in Steubenville are really high, among the very highest of any school district in the state of Ohio, um, and, and really among some of the highest in the country. Reardon's analysis showed that Wells Elementary's high performance is now shared across the district. I headed back to Steubenville to understand why. On this trip, I saw that some of the steel mill that had haunted the riverfront back in 2008 had been hauled away. Some of the crumbling buildings had been torn down and there was just a little bit more life on the downtown streets than there had been in 2008. But it's still a sad town. City residents had hoped the fracking industry would bring jobs back to the city. Instead, most of the jobs went to transient workers from places like Texas and Oklahoma. Steubenville has a median household income of just a little more than $33,000, almost $20,000 less than the rest of the country. And the percentage of people living in poverty in Steubenville is double that of the country as a whole. The news I was there to see, though, was touted on huge billboards above the city. Steubenville's three elementary schools had all received honors from the state of Ohio. If you go and look at Steubenville's district report card, higher percentages of its third and fourth grade students meet state reading and math standards than pretty much anywhere else in Ohio. In this three-part episode of Extraordinary Districts, we'll be talking with teachers, principals, district administrators, and students to try and figure out why Steubenville is so high-performing at the elementary school level. To begin with, I asked Melinda Young to describe Steubenville's students. She is the superintendent of schools and a Steubenville native.
1: We, we have um, all different kinds of students in Steubenville City Schools. We have students that come from a middle class background. We also have students that come from economically disadvantaged backgrounds, one parent homes, some of them are grandparents or raising children. Sometimes um, children are being passed from one adult to the other. Um, we just have a lot of different types of children.
0: I asked her how the schools adjusted to accommodate students who grow up in poverty.
1: You can't teach them like you teach a middle-class child. You, you have to have more for them. You have to have the things that they're not getting at home.
0: I asked her what kinds of things children from low-income homes need more time, more intervention,
1: taking them on the level that they're actually at. Instead of teaching above where they're at or below where they're at, you need to take them where they are and move them faster. So it's having um, online programs for them, um, tutoring one-on-one. It's just really meeting their needs, making sure they have clean clothes when they come into our building so they're like the other students.
0: And what happens when kids get the help Young says they need? The truth is, you can
1: really see it, and it's exciting when you do see the, the breakthroughs and when it
0: happens. I asked Young if she had in mind a specific example of the kind of breakthrough she's talking about. Because she's been in the district for a long time, she talked about students she's watched since they were toddlers. Last year, there were
1: several of those students that um, they were part of Even Start, which provided early childhood education, parenting classes, and also um, getting the parents' GEDs. So these were high-risk children and high-risk families. And to see those um, students graduate, and the one girl actually graduated in the top 10. And to me, we changed the path of poverty for that family.
0: Hear what she said. We've changed the path of poverty for that family. I heard similar words again and again from educators in Steubenville. They have claimed as their mission changing the path of poverty. So how do they go about doing it? You heard Superintendent Young mention Even Start. That's a federal grant program that was first authorized in 1989 It focused not just on very young children, but also their families, helping parents get their high school equivalency or job training, addiction help, job referrals, all kinds of services. The program ended a few years ago, but while it was in place, Steubenville applied for those grants and, according to Young, had a thriving program. And that's a tiny clue into how Steubenville has succeeded, despite the fact that the city has a very small tax base and, like the rest of Appalachian, Ohio, is chronically underfunded by the state. It aggressively uses federal and other grants available to high-poverty districts.
2: We worked on a lot of innovative grants, and we could make a difference at a school by getting a grant.
0: That's Richard Ranallo. He was born in Steubenville and, except for a few years, has spent his entire life in Steubenville as a student, teacher, social worker, principal, federal grants coordinator, and superintendent. He's retired now, but he was superintendent when I first went to Steubenville in 2008. We're going to hear more from him and current Superintendent Young how Steubenville uses grants. But before we get to that, I want to give you a little of the city's history because you really can't go to Steubenville without hearing about it. Toward the northern end of Appalachian, Ohio, the city stands a little by itself, separate from other cities, except for its West Virginia twin across the river, Weirton. When Steubenville was at its economic height, with the steel mill and other industries working at full speed, the city attracted Italians, Greeks, Eastern Europeans, and African Americans, in addition to the traditional Appalachian, Scots-Irish population.
3: At the peak of our time, I think we had uh, maybe between 37 and 40,000
0: people. Now we're down to around 18,000. That's William Hendricks, president of the Steubenville School Board. He has lived in Steubenville most of his life and has served on the school board off and on since the 1980s. He described Steubenville the way it was when he grew up in the 1940s and 1950s.
3: At The two steel mills, National Steel, Weirton Steel, Wheeling Pittsburgh Steel, uh, between between all of them, they had probably twenty thousand people working them. And you know, guys could just come out, come out of high school, and you had somebody working there, or just go down there, and put an application in, and they was hiring. And, and the town was doing good. And I tell you what, when I come up as a kid, <laughs> it was it was flourishing. Stumo was flourishing because of other things. You know, Mill used to be known as Little Chicago.
0: By the way, he's talking about Al Capone's Chicago. Back then, Steubenville was a center of gambling and prostitution. But Steubenville's illicit businesses were cleaned up at a certain point, and later its industries died, causing the city to lose population and income. Mr. Hendricks talked about friends who moved away. When they come home, they're just
3: devastated
0: on what happened to Steubenville. Hendricks and former superintendent Richard Ranallo Both say that the schools have always been a great source of community pride. Here's Ranallo again.
2: Steubenville is very unique. I was a Steubenville kid that lived in an alley downtown. Steubenville had a great reputation. I can show you a 1920 yearbook for Steubenville High School, that it was the premier high school in the valley. And people from all the towns as far down as St. Clairsville, 20 miles, would come there for high school because a lot of kids at that time in their agrarian uh, society didn't go to college. But if you wanted to go to college, Steubenville was a community that had the great college prep program and a reputation.
0: That's not to say that the schools worked for all of Steubenville's kids. One example is Mr. Renallo's father, who also grew up in Steubenville. When Mr. Rinalo became principal of Steubenville High School, he was able to look up his father's permanent record. It was one of thousands of index cards that were held in the high school's steel vault.
2: It had said, poor student, not much chance.
0: Poor student, not much chance. That stuck with Ranallo because he could see how the schools had dismissed his father as incapable of being educated with that one little phrase. But that was back in the heyday of the mills, and the school's assessment didn't stop his father from making a living.
2: He got a job in the mill he provided for us. We went to college, my brother and I.
0: Ranallo's sister didn't go to college, but she worked her way up from secretary to owner of her own business.
2: We've, we've had a good life. And, you know, Stumbo was the, the key.
0: And part of that key, Ronaldo said, was education.
2: Stumbo always valued education. that never failed to pass a levy. We were very progressive way before uh, Topeka versus Kansas. Stumbo schools were integrated, and, uh, you know, we, we were a good school system.
0: Topeka v. Kansas is usually referred to as Brown v. Board of Education, the landmark Supreme Court ruling in 1954 that said that schools must integrate, but which was resisted by many school districts. The school board member we talked with earlier, Mr. Hendricks, who's African American, pointed out how unusual this was in the 1940s. Especially when you go right across the river uh, into
3: communities that, that, uh, you know, we're like our rivals, like Weirton and,
0: and Falls Bean, all the way down to Wheeling. All, all those schools were segregated. In fact, it wasn't until Mr. Hendricks tried to go to a swimming pool with his white friends and was turned away that he even became aware of segregation. He was nine.
3: It never, you know, dawned on me that things were segregated because my friends were, you know, I had black friends and white friends and they came over to my house, they slept over my house, I slept at their house and community was integrated, but, you know, society wasn't at the time. Uh, our schools were uh, renegrated, there's no problem, but uh, I guess there was, there was pockets of it, uh, eating places and some other things that wasn't. And, and as a kid, I, I was never, you know, exposed to that. When the first time I was exposed to it, you know, it, it just scared me to death.
0: Even with many fewer residents, Steubenville still retains the ethnic diversity it once had. But the city is what residents call landlocked, meaning it has very definite boundaries and there is virtually no land to build on. If people do get a job and want to move to a house with a little land, they have to move outside the city limits. This is why Ohio's district choice program is important to Steubenville's schools. Ohio law says that students can enroll in any district that is willing to accept them, as long as they can get themselves there. The state dollars allocated to them follow the students to their new districts. That money isn't enough to entice many wealthy suburban school districts to take in students from nearby cities, but Steubenville welcomes students from outside city limits. In fact, Superintendent Young brags that many more students come to Steubenville than leave it unusual for an urban system in Ohio. In fact, about one-third of the system's 2,400 students come from outside the district. I asked a couple of high school students why they travel to Steubenville from neighboring towns.
3: Coming to Steubenville has to do with
0: almost, almost like kind of a pride thing. Like, when you have a parent that went to Steubenville, your kids are going, they're guaranteed to go to Steubenville. I mean, you're not going to send your kids to any other school. Which is, that's how it is around this local area. Here's what he means by that. Pride
3: thing. We kind of hold ourselves to a higher standard than other schools in the county and surrounding area.
0: The district uses the state dollars that come with the open enrollment students to pay for some programs that we're going to hear about later. So they're valued for the state money they bring in, but that's not the only reason. Here's former Superintendent Ronaldo again.
2: The open enrollment has been a way for us to uh, keep a strong population better integrated population, what I call it a mixture of, and I always believed in that as Stumbo's strength was the integration of, of different ethnicities, different um, levels of uh, uh, money economically and things like that. And I, I like this yes keep it, I, I just don't think you ever just want to be all poor or all rich. I, I think the idea that I can learn to deal with people of all all, uh, economic, religious, ethnic backgrounds as sort of a strength for a community. That's my opinion.
0: His words were echoed by high school teacher Natalie Campana. It's a big melting pot. It's incredible. We have different nationalities, ethnic groups, and we all come together. And we are a Big Red family, and we blend that very well here together. Campana is the fourth generation to live in Steubenville. The story goes that my great-grandfather, Estacchio Campana, wanted to continue his education in Italy, but at that time, World War I was going on, and they couldn't. And he said that he was going to ensure that his future children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren would have that opportunity. He settled in Steubenville, where he worked in the steel mill, as did his son and grandson. So out of that, there are seven other teachers in the Campana lineup, including my sister. She's also a teacher. With that passion of educating and helping others. So Steubenville City Schools has a tradition and history of being open, integrated, and valuing education through some very hard times. And educators felt they were doing a reasonable job, particularly for a high-poverty district. But in 2001, Steubenville came to a moment of truth. That year, the Ohio legislature said that fourth graders had to pass a state reading assessment before being promoted to fifth grade. Steubenville's educators realized that unless something changed, rather dramatically, some of their students would have to be held back. Back then, Melinda Young was a teacher who was just about to become an elementary school principal. She remembers asking teachers which students should be allowed to fail. She and others, thought the answer should be zero, but they knew if they just kept doing what they were doing, some children would be held back. So what did they do? How did they not only help just about every single fourth grader pass the reading assessment, but start outperforming fourth graders from much wealthier districts? The answers aren't simple, but they're instructive, and that's what we'll take up in the next part of our three-part episode on Steubenville, Ohio. Be sure to join us as we learn how Steubenville's elementary schools became so successful. This is Karen Chenoweth. See you next time.